The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. And all of a sudden, it feels like things are about to get really fun again, doesn't it? Welcome to another edition of Davo's Dish here on Clubhouse Conversation. A 6-1 to one Royals victory that never seemed even an ounce in doubt tonight against the Minnesota Twins as Casey moves to 43-39. and 39. They kick off this nine-game road trip in the series with Minnesota with a much-needed win. The Royals need to at the least go five and four, but you really want them to go six and three on this road trip. And in this game, just seemed like they dominated it and and they won in convincing fashion, didn't it? You know, I'm kind of a unique baseball diehard, I would say, in that I have a little bit of everything in me. I kind of go half of you know half off that eye test that the numbers guys hate. You know, the eye test, the old oh look at his body, oh look at that, oh clutch hitting oh and then i'm kind of half off the numbers then that the scout types hate so i kind of look at both i feel like that's the best way to be as a baseball fanatic you understand and appreciate numbers but you don't live and die by numbers because statistics can be obviously manipulated you've also got the sample size you know factor to to look at but but all that combined let's just talk about tonight about the eye test because i feel like the royals just passed it with flying colors when compared to the minnesota twins like, I'll go as far as to say that these two teams don't even belong in the same field right now. Now, I understand the Royals got swept and got their butts handed to them the first time they came into Minnesota back in April. That's noted. I understand that. But right now, the Twins just are slow. They're unathletic. They're clumsy. They're very mediocre defensively. I know if you look at errors and all that, they aren't that bad off. But again, a lot of times it's tough to measure defensive metrics when you consider that how do you take into effect that more balls that you get to, maybe you make more errors on throws because you're getting to more balls or you know you have higher expectations, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's tough to measure defensive metrics. So while the numbers say the Twins aren't awful, the eyes tell you they're awful defensively. The starting pitching is a disaster. I mean, in this series, the Royals are facing you know Pinon tonight with an ERA, what, north of six. Then you tomorrow have... A five seven eight ERA and Wednesday an ERA over five as well. I mean, their their rotation is a disaster right now. You know that's true when Daduno is pitching out of the bullpen, and he arguably the last couple of years, at least against the Royals, just seems like one of their best starters, if not their best one. And the bullpen's not a lot better. I mean, the Twins' offense is struggling. It's just not a good baseball team right now. And I'm not saying the Royals are world beaters, but it just it just seems like they have a distinct edge, and we'll talk more about this later. But they really need to sweep this series. They they really do. Realistically, need to sweep the series. Now they have to win two out of three, obviously, especially after getting game one. But realistically, you need to sweep this series. So the Royals put this game away early. You know, they started the scoring on the top of the second. Alcides Escobar a big double. That was his first double of the night, which drove in Salvi and Moose. Made it 2 nothing, and then the top of the fourth inning, Alex Gordon doubles to start the inning. Salvador Perez, not a very good approach, just like yesterday in the ninth. Tried to pull that breaking ball low and away. We've been talking about that all season. That he, when, he's, when he's struggling, he's not taking the ball to right field, which he's not doing right now, especially in that situation. You'd like to see Salvi take the ball to the right side with a runner at second and him getting pitched away. But, you know, I digress. He hit the ball to third. Did get the job done when Alex Gordon made a heads-up baseball play, made it over to third, and that enabled him to score on Omar Infante's hard single to left, which probably does not score him from second base. So the Royals go up 3 nothing, and then Minnesota comes back and adds a run there in the bottom of the fifth. But the game never even seemed like it would get away at all, did it? Even when it was 3-1, to one, I just, it just felt like when it was 3-1, to one, it was 5-1. to five to one. Just the way that Duffy was pitching and 
the way the Twins, they just, it's just not a good baseball team. And then Salvador Perez came right back at homer in the top of the sixth to get that run back, making it 4-1. to one. And finally, the dagger, I guess, officially happened in the top of the eighth when there were two errors made by Brian Dozier out there. And that allowed Alcides Escobar to smack his second double of the night, get his third and fourth RBIs, make it 6-1. to one. That was all that she wrote. Escobar, two for four with two doubles and four RBIs. He's up to 295. OPSing higher than many guys in this lineup that you would hope wouldn't, you know, that would not be the case, but it is, which is not a good thing. Because as good as Escobar's playing, imagine how good the Royals would be if the guys that were in the middle of the lineup were producing what they were supposed to. But again, I digress. That's time for another day to talk about that. But also two hits for Moose and Perez. Danny Duffy was good, and I thought he was he was better than his line indicated tonight. Again, I test. I test versus numbers because the Twins couldn't touch him tonight, quite frankly. Five and two-thirds. Surprisingly, only struck out three in five and two-thirds. A lot of one run on four hits, walk two. Really probably should have gone seven innings of one-run ball in this game, but I thought he fought himself a little bit. I don't know. They were, you know, how they were saying it was mentally. I don't know if it was mentally so much. He's, he's been fiery and competitive all year and been channeling that. I don't, I don't know that it was so much mentally. He just seemed to be fighting himself in those middle innings. I don't know if it was mechanics, fatigue, what it was. But he also got squeezed a little bit in that sixth inning as well, which certainly cost him most likely a chance to get through that six. So, you know, I thought Duffy pitched very well tonight. Should have been better than his line. His line wasn't bad, but I'm just saying I thought he was even better than that. And the bullpen, waterproof again. Aaron Crow comes out, strands two in the sixth. Calvin Herrera, two more in the seventh to pick up Francis Le Bueno. Herrera has a little bit of trouble in the eighth, but pitches out of that. Michael Marriott, more trouble. What else is new in the ninth? Pitches out of that, wobbling again. And the Royals have addressed, we'll talk later about the moves that were made today. They've addressed, at least for now, they put Band-Aids on the utility infield situation and, and upgraded most likely the end of their bench as well. We'll talk more about that here at the end, but... Michael Marriott right now is the one glaring weakness to me on this team. The guy's got an ERA right around six in, in every outing. How often does he have a clean outing? I mean, really, I don't know. Does it happen this year? You know, I, he said there was a game where he threw four and a third or something like that. And was that against Detroit? Who was that against? It was an afternoon game during the week earlier this year. He had a nice, man, it was Baltimore maybe. He had a nice like four and third or it was Cleveland. That's who it was. It was Cleveland. I think it was at Cleveland the last time the Royals were there. But, I mean, outside of that outing, he really has not been that good. He, he did okay the other night thanks to some great defense and building the Royals out. But Michael Marriott, I mean, once again, Greg Holland has to get hot. This cannot continue to happen. We've been talking about this for the last month, where basically six of the eight last times the Royals have a four-run lead or more in the ninth inning. Holland either has to come in the game or get hot out there. That's not good. That's just not acceptable. And with the Royals shipping out Tim Collins and, you know, Lewis Coleman and, Justin Maxwell and Pedro Siriaco, they're showing, you know, Mike Moustakis went down for a while. They're showing a pretty good, a pretty low tolerance, I should probably say, for guys not doing their job. And I'm just wondering when it'll come for Marriott. I don't know when that happens, but at some point the Royals need to improve the back of that bullpen. That may be one of those things that just happens when we get towards July 31st, because I, I still expect the Royals to add one more bat to their bench in some way, or at the very least, one more arm to the bullpen. Again, another topic for another day, but that's something that bugs me. You want your closer to have a nice, relaxed day. I mean, sure, he didn't pitch in the game tonight, but he still got hot. He pitched yesterday. I mean, same with Wade Davis. Even he had to get hot today, which you don't necessarily want. You know, guys like Bueno been able to get out of that full inning and Herrera and so on and so forth. But, you know, whatever. The bullpen was good. I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about here. I'm not, I'm not trying to complain. I'm just pointing out one thing that I see 
that needs to be addressed. And that's really the only obvious move right now that I feel the Royals should do is imp- improve that bullpen. And they've got so many good arms out in Omaha right now, too, to choose from. And that bullpen, it's true. Chris Dwyer's getting rocked right now. Blake Wood got rocked yesterday, but you give Casey Coleman another look. Buddy Bauman is begging to get in the 40-man roster and come up. His numbers are fantastic. My man Spencer Patton, same thing. He's had a couple rough outings. The last few, you know, for the first time this year, he's in a little mini slump. But you got three guys right there that could come up, you know, even Wilking Rodriguez. So just something to think about as we move forward here. And the Royals won this one. Nice win. Like I said, you need to sweep this series. It's a must-win series at the very least. James Shields will try to shake off that awful start he had earlier this year on the Saturday afternoon against Minnesota when Mike Moustakis had a defensive error botching a double play that just opened up the floodgates. Two earned for Shields in that game at allowed seven. So he'll try to atone for that in his recent performance against Ricky Nolasco. Nolasco, four and six, a five, seven, four. Once again, got to win the game tomorrow. The Royals are the pitching edge, and the edge pretty much everywhere on the field. I mean, I, I don't even know if Minnesota really has any edges over the Royals, do they? I mean, technically, I'm sure you can look at home runs and, and such, but it, these teams aren't close right now. The Twins are a bad baseball team. Could, by the end of this year, be the worst in the league, depending on how bad Tampa decides to unload and, and start fresh and, and stuff. I mean, I think Houston's improved. I don't think Houston will be the worst. So the Royals need to sweep this series. That's just the way it is. Wednesday, Vargas against Correa, who's 4-9 and nine with a 5.08. Two guys with ERAs north of 5 against guys the Royals have you know, in the threes and a better defense and so on and so forth. So we'll see what happens. We'll have tomorrow night here for you on Clubhouse Conversation. Now, today was a busy day besides the game today, of course. Now, first of all, I hope you were able to listen to our interview with Jeremy Guthrie that we had earlier this morning from a Barnes & Noble in downtown Minneapolis. We talked to Jay Guthrie for about 20 minutes. Very good interview. We talk about his favorite Major League umpire, and he tells me, exactly how much this Royals defense saves his ERA in his opinion. And we talk about this upcoming road trip and pitching in the postseason and music and, you know, all that good stuff with Jeremy Guthrie. So check that out. You can stream it here on the website. You can download it on your device through iTunes or here on the site and take it with you, as you can all interviews and all audio posted here on Clubhouse Conversation. The two moves let's talk about, though, obviously, are, number one, a move that should have been made a week plus ago, but it was made, so that's fine. Pedro Siriaco DFA'd. Christian Colon brought up, you know, I don't know how I feel about Christian Colon as a long-term at this point major league utility guy, but as of late, his bat is producing in Omaha, and I think he's just about dead average. It's second base, slightly below average at shortstop and third base, but at least he gives you the chance to play three positions out there on the field. It'll be interesting to see what happens, by the way, here in Seven to 12 days when Aoki comes back. I know he's eligible on Monday, but he'll, I'm sure, rehab for a few days, especially as good as Dyson is playing. But who goes down? Does Aoki get traded? Does Danny Valencia get DFA'd? I don't think so. No possible way, right? He's been hitting better lately. You need him to platoon. Is it Cologne who goes right back down and they're right back to no utility infielder? Are they going to ship Marriott down and go really thin out there on the bullpen? It'll be interesting to see what happens here. But Cologne, for now, again, I don't know that he's a long-term solution as a utility guy. I, I prefer somebody more like a Willie Bloomquist. I understand you just can't acquire those guys at the drop of a hat, but I think you can by the deadline. I'm not saying it has to be somebody as good or capable as Bloomquist, but somebody who's just you know rock-solid defensively and a veteran out there who can move runners, bond a little bit, that kind of stuff. That's what the Royals need out of a utility infielder. So Cologne, as long as he can make the average play, I suppose is good enough with his bat. Profiling is decent. He's not that fast either, but 
Cologne is better than Syriaco at this point. Good move by the Royals. Wouldn't mind seeing Jason Donald added to the 40 and get a chance. He's an experienced major league utility guy, but he's not really performing down on Omaha right now. So I'm fine with it. It's the best move that the Royals can make. So definitely good. Now, the, the more controversial one that a lot of Royals fans have been mocking all day is, of course, DFAing Justin Maxwell. Again, a good move for Raul Abanez. This move, I, I kind of like it, guys. And again, look at the numbers. I know what the numbers would indicate he's done with how he's hit this year and the second half of last year. What did he only hit four home runs out of his 29 last year in the second half, I believe? So the numbers would tell you it's been a year since he's been a productive major league player. The eye obviously shows you he can't really play defense anymore, even at, even at an average level. So I can't imagine him starting more than one game a week. But the thing I like about it, this, this Abanez move is the following. Yes, it's true that you don't have a right-handed bat off the bench unless you have Valencia, and I, but I do think that right-handed bat is coming at some point. I mean, I guess it could just be Cologne or it could be another utility infielder acquired. It could be Valencia on days where he's not playing, but I understand that it's just another left-handed bat. But here's what it gives you. It gives, I mean, Abanez, I would say, is good enough to give Alex Gordon maybe three or four days off the rest of the year. You can stick him out there in the outfield probably once a week, whether it be Left or right. Once a week, you can probably play Raul Abanez and get away with it. Same thing at first base, although that's not going to happen. Eric Cosmer is not going anywhere. But it does give you a tiny bit of injury protection in case Hosmer does go down or Butler go, does go down. You could DH Abanez. You could pinch hit him. I love him as a professional bat off the bench. And hopefully it won't be like Carlos Pena last year, who I'm still pissed at him for taking those three strikes. With the runner at third base and one out. What game was that last year? I forget. It was in September. You, you, you know the game I'm talking about. Then he had the appendix right taken out right after that. Never played again. Let's hope Abanez. I'm assuming he's going to be a lot better than Carlos Pena was last year. But I, you know, it's a thing where he probably starts. I would guess a dozen games out of the last 80. He's not going to play that much and probably pinch hits another 15 games. He's probably only getting in 25 to 30 of the final 80 games here, guys. That's not a huge, huge deal, but. It gives the Royals a legit pinch hitter, number one. Number two, it does, I think, even push guys like Billy Butler a little bit. If Billy Butler is getting into July 15th and he's sitting on two home runs and August 1st and he's sitting on four home runs and he's not getting on base like he has been in the month of June, at that point you could make the switch to Abanez and or make a move with the deadline. You know, At that point you're not going to renew Butler's contract at the end of the year anyways. You're already have him as a sunk cost come August 1st. I'm just saying if he quits hitting like he has in the month of June. I'm just saying that. I'm not saying that will happen. If he's not in for power, though, and he's not getting on base, then Abanez obviously protects you a little bit from that. It maybe pushes Butler. Maybe raises the awareness of the Royals, some of their young guys, saying it's time to produce. And one final thing, and the one that stats guys hate, that us I guys will talk about is leadership and clubhouse and presence and all that kind of stuff and i know you can't really quantify that and you know people always you know say oh you know give me 25 guys who hate each other that can produce and i'll take them over 25 who love each other and suck i understand that but i think he's a very good piece to have in that clubhouse as well so i'm okay with both moves in fact i I think both moves are good i do i'll I'll agree more so on the cologne move i think the cologne move is more of a band-aid than abanez move is abanez is here for the rest of the year and abanez does have as a pinch hitter, some value, and as a guy who can play in short spurts, as a some value, a leadership, all that kind of stuff. He's a winner. He's played a more playoff game than the Royals combined with other guys. Cologne for Suriaco is a minimal upgrade, but it is an upgrade at this at this point. And I still hope the Royals will add a utility guy 
at the break. I could even see Cologne only being up here, like I said, until Aoki comes off the off the DL, and then the Royals making some sort of move involving Aoki or somebody else to open up a roster spot prior to July 31st. The Royals could go without a utility infielder. Because think about it. Let's let's see Aoki doesn't come back until after the All-Star break. Because he's eligible to come off the DL with th- three games left in this road trip, and then the Royals only have four games at home. Let's say the Royals give him a full week in Omaha. That's seven days in Omaha. Then that buys you to the All-Star break, and by then you come back and you've only got about, what, 11 or 12 days till the trade deadline. So you could probably suffer, activate Aoki and suffer through 10 to 12 days without a utility infielder if you had to. I'm not saying they'll do that, but or even make a trade at that point. You're close enough to July 31st where teams will start dealing. Maybe then you make a trade with involving Aoki to get yourself a utility infielder because even a competing team in the National League might find Aoki useful as a fourth outfielder and maybe have an extra utility guy. You don't trade Aoki within your league to a contender, but what I'm saying is the kind of team that's going to want Aoki in a trade is a team that's probably still in it. Otherwise, it's kind of a useless trade. You're giving up a utility guy, unless there's a utility guy making a lot of money in the last year of a contract, and you're saving a little bit by taking Aoki. But more likely, Aoki, if they're going to move him, goes to a National League team who's competing, who has an extra utility guy. And that's just all hearsay by me. So just thinking out loud here what these moves mean, I still think the Cologne move is more the short-term and more Band-Aid move, and I still think that the Abanya is, is longer-term. And I, and, I do, and I do also think that Cologne is still probably going to get traded at the end of this year. This could also improve his stock a little bit, getting him up here to the major league. So there you go. That's that's my two cents on the moves today, my two cents on this game and the road trip and the series. Look forward to talking to you again tomorrow here on Clubhouse Conversation. One other thing, by the way, had a great chat with Jeff Montgomery, Royals Hall of Famer this morning. Monty gave us 45 minutes of his time to talk about everything from high school to college to the minor leagues, to the Royals Hall of Fame and everything in between. So Jeff Montgomery, very candid. We'll talk to him probably on Wednesday. I'll post that here on Clubhouse Conversation. Have yourself a great night. Go Royals, and thanks for listening.